بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وصلى سيدنا ونبينا اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ويانا نمبر 44 سوره العنكبوت سوره نمبر 29 خلق الله السماوات والارض بالحق ان في ذلك لايه للمؤمنين so the previous ayat spoke about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala depicting the example of the non-muslims with the image of the spider's web where the spider weaves it's webbed very intricately and then makes the web its home but when you go there you find that the spider's web is very weak and you may blow in it you may dislodge the spider itself and you may also consequently ruin and destroy the web so as intricate as the web might be and very sophisticated and also very uh, appealing to look at it has no real strength in it likewise the eight categories and groups of people uh, that are mentioned in the surah who denied Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they denied the message of the messenger they, although their web may be uh, just as intricate and sophisticated and appealing okay their foundations are very weak and tawhid will come risala will come and then blow into it and onto it and uh, that web will be destroyed and then the ayah which says that uh, only those who know will be able to understand the similes parables metaphors whatever you like to call that figurative language okay that the quran uses time and time again so not everybody is equipped with the tools and the understanding to understand that type of language only the ulama and those who know will be able to do so here in this ayah allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now turns our attention to his own creation khalaqa allah samawati wal ardh bil haqq allah has created the heavens and the earth with the truth with reality and not in vain not in sport not in amusement not as a pastime which is mentioned in other ayat of the quran but with the uh, intent of uh, being very holistic and totally interconnected and with the purpose of resurrection that there is a purpose to life so this life has a beginning and this life has an end and it has an afterlife where muslims who believe in allah and his rasul know the value of this truth of this reality hence the quran says inna fi dhalika la ayatan lil mu'minin indeed in this reality there is a portent and there's a sign for those who have iman and faith so those who believe they will know that allah does not create for no reason rabbana ma khalaqta hadha batila subhanaka one of the duas of the quran our lord we know you have not created this in vain in falsehood okay you are much more glorified than that subhanaka faqina adhab an-nas so the believer will then say save us from the punishment of the fire okay. so the believer knows there is purpose there is order there's coherence and there's management there's arrangement there's a system and there is sophistication in whatever allah has created so when you look at the heavens and the earth they will not be able to be in existence without order they will not function without order and even when they are destroyed they'll be destroyed with an order uh, hence they'll be resurrected with an order uh, that is the order allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will establish on the day of judgment for the ultimate 
and final conclusion to one's life. Utlu ma uhiya ilayka min al-kitab wa aqim as-salah inna as-salata tanha 'anil fahsha'i wal munkar wa la dhikrullah akbar wallahu ya'lamu ma tasna'un. Here the Quran now turns our attention to one of the means of truth okay, that comes down into the heavens and the earth. Allah previously say, says that He created the heavens and the earth with truth. What is an example of that truth? So here, wahi is seen as an example of the ultimate truth, meaning communication directly from Allah to His makhluq, from Allah to His messengers, from Allah to His uh, angels. And so on. <coughs> so, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam now is saying <coughs> that you must recite and follow whatever has been revealed to you from revelation and from the book, which may be the Quran and which may be other forms of revelation also. So, if you want to understand the haqq, the truth with which Allah creates, then you must recite and follow. The word tilawa means to recite and follow at the same time, both things. Tilawa. So you must recite and follow whatever is being revealed to you of the truth, of revelation, the revelation being the truth. So this principle for the Prophet ﷺ was there to establish his nabuwa his risala, his authority through wahi over the minds and over the knowledge of all other human beings that the knowledge we have given you is not through your mind only, through your rational abilities only, it is through supra-rational means and medium. That supra-rational means and medium is the Qur'an, is wahi. So you don't have to worry about whether or not people appreciate who you are, what you are. You must recite and you must follow. So if the Qur'an now reveals this reality, then you must recite the reality to confirm that you've accepted the truth. And then you must follow the reality to confirm that you're going to execute the truth. So confirmation through recitation and then confirmation through Execution. Confirmation through execution is the sunnah and the understanding of the Sahaba and the Khulafa Rashida and so on. This is how we align now this reality of the Quran with the reality of creating the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth, they are created through an order, and revelation is also through an order, and both have parallel. Now, forms of transmission and parallel forms of execution and creation. Right. This is how you organize these two ayat together. salah, And then establish prayer. You must be able to do salat yourself and have others establish prayer also with you. So whatever the sunnah model of establishing prayer is, must be followed because that comes through wahi. Just as you must follow the order of creation in order to establish a house. How does one build a house? Is it through your imaginative, creative ideas that the house should be without foundation? Or the house should look uh, like a, a, a branch or the house should be curved, or the house should be this form and this, uh, with this design and this plan. How creative can we be when we want to create anything? So we have to follow the laws and the rules of that thing that we want to create. Right. So, in engineering and architecture, you follow rules. Within those rules, you can be creative. You can't be creative outside of that framework. Otherwise, you'll be destroying, not creating. Likewise, in medicine, 
you can be creative within the parameters of the human body. You can't do anything that exceeds the limits and the boundaries of the human body. Otherwise, you'll be very destructive. And you'll end up killing everybody. So likewise, anything that human beings want to create in the cosmos, on earth, whatever design they have, that design must fit the rules of engagement and the order and the process by which you're going to execute that order. If you don't follow those guidelines, you'll be destroying and you'll not be creating. So likewise, in the order of Sharia, we have the guidelines and the parameters of Wahi, especially in Ibadat. So when you want to establish Salat, for instance, what are the parameters within which you may do so? That comes from wahi, not from the rational mind, but from the supra-rational reception of wahi of the Prophet Muhammad Because establishing prayer is an act of ibadah and worship, and the rules of worship do not come from the rational mind. Otherwise, there'd be no reason for wahi. Every human being would say, I can speculate. I have a mind. I'm okay, mashallah, I can do it this way and this way, and God knows, and he hears, and he listens, and everything depends on what's in my heart. You don't need to necessarily follow a rigid order. So you say, why don't you do that with building your house? Why don't you do that with your body? Why don't you do that with your kids' education? Never mind that your own kids' education. I don't want this order and this structure. Why? Because I want to be creative. God knows. And God will put the barakah in this type of activity. Then after five years of teaching your child, your child knows nothing. Why? Because there was no order. There's no methodology. There's no structure. There's no process that human beings follow. Likewise, when people worship Allah without an order then it is true God listens. The point is, does God accept or not? I mean, does the law of nature accept your creativity outside of the rules of gravity? And there's no... Otherwise, all of us will be creative. We'll be hanging in the air, Marshall, you know, living in the air, living under the sea. I mean, even that's possible, but nobody has done it yet. Right? So that there is an order to everything that we want to bring into the world, in the heavens and the earth, in this world. So likewise, when you talk about ibadat, worship, uh, articles of faith, there is an order. That order is called wahi. So within the parameters of wahi, you may worship Allah. And outside of the parameters of, of wahi, you may still worship whom you want to worship. But the point is, it will not be accepted. It won't work. There will be no establishment of that. So the Quran now alludes to, to this point in this ayah by saying, recite and follow wahi. And the best way to recite and follow wahi is to establish salat prayer. Why? Because salat gives you the discipline, the organization, the order of wahi in matters that are very, very sensitive and private. Because ibadah is between you and Allah. Ibadah is between you and your maker. Ibadah is between you and the one who has created you, and so on. That is very sacred, it's very private. So in your private matters with God, you must have an order. If you don't have an order, then you may be creative as much as you want, because you have volition, and you are a human being, and you're free to do what you want. But that you can't pin that on God. Just as you want to build a castle, and you have sand. And then you build a sand castle on the beach. And it's not going to last for very long until the kid, next kid comes along and kicks it down. Yeah. Likewise, in your ibadah, there's an order. You may do what you want, but that order will be destroyed instantaneously. It will not hold up, because there's no foundation. So you need wahi to be the foundation for your edifice and the building of your prayer. And the community that follows the order of wahi will establish prayer as a hallmark and a trademark and a signature and a symbol of their civilization.
That is why the building of masajid with minarat are what? They're symbols of Muslim architecture and Muslim civilization. So wherever you go in the Muslim world, mashallah, you marvel and you say, subhanAllah, what a beautiful structure. And then Muslims go and pray there. Well, inshallah. <laughs> then Muslims go and take photographs there. Well, with their makeshift convertible hijab. Right. Well, it's not for tourism, it's for prayer. It's for ibadah. You should see that the beauty of Islam is that you're going to establish a foundation. These are the parameters within which the community will pray. And this is the building which they will build. And these are the rules for frequenting the building, leaving the building, staying in the building, and so on. That all comes from wahi. It doesn't come from speculative uh, theology or from human rational thought or understanding of how God is now going to like us and love us. It's not that free. Any more than any other order in the world is free. You have to follow the rules because this is time and space. Okay. So now, if Muslims start to believe uh, that you may or we may pray the way we see fit, then that's disastrous. Totally disastrous. Well, why can't women lead? Rababa is not about us. It's about wahi. And then the, the, the point of ibadah is what? Is to submit yourself in front of Allah, your maker. It is not to stand and argue with your maker. That's the order. So when you are in sajda, you are saying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I am placing my forehead, okay, the most prized part of my anatomy. My brain, my intellect is now resting against the ground and the earth from which it came. And I have no order except to submit and bow down and be humble in front of your awe, your majesty, your greatness, as Imam Ghazali says. That is ibadah. But when Muslims in modern day say, well, we can fight God on this. And we can fight wahi. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with women leading? Or what's wrong with women being in the same row? But it's not about that. It's not about you. It's about following utlu. It's about reciting and following wahi. You have to get over it. So now, Muslims are being oppressive against women, and Muslims don't want to think outside the box. Well, that's true. We, that we can't think outside the box when it's ibadah. It is supra-rational. Otherwise, why follow Islam at all? You can create whatever religion you want. Why you call it Muslim? You're free to do that too. This is USA. Who's going to stop you? No one's going to stop you. But when you put the Islamic label on it, then that's where the issue is. Then Islamic civilization, we do not do this because we follow an order in wahi just as we follow an order in everything else in life. So when we want to now fly in the sky, okay, we had, mashallah, people in human civilization that uh, built wings, put wings on themselves, and they threw themselves off the cliff, and they died. Right? Until when? Until the invention of the plane, the aeroplane. Then you can fly with the aid and assistance of a machine. Likewise, when human beings want to fly spiritually, and they put these wings of imagination on themselves, and they throw themselves over the cliff, what happens? They die. Spiritually. Until they find the machine, the edifice, with which they will fly. That edifice is called the Salat of the Prophet That is the only vehicle that will allow you to fly and soar to the heavens. As the Prophet said, Salat Salat is the means by which a believer soars to the heavens. He climbs to the heavens. Miraj. Ascension. But which Salat? The Salat of the Prophet So when he said to the Sahaba, Sallu kama He was not suggesting to them. He was ordering them, pray the way you see me. So what is the order now of Salat? That you have an Imam. Okay. Who is the Imam? The one who knows how to lead the Salat and the congregation. His knowledge must be up there. And then how does one follow? Whatever the imam does, you do. 
And how does one align ourselves, uh, align oneself? That the order of the Prophet ﷺ, which is explicitly expressed, it is not contextual. The rituals of ibadat are not contextual. They are acontextual, just as the laws of gravity don't work differently for Muslims as they do for non-Muslims. The Muslim wants to say, MashaAllah, Allah's fadl is with me, so you know, if I jump over the cliff, he'll help me. No, he won't. Right? So if non-Muslims say, we can worship God the way you want to, then it's not going to work for the Muslim. Right? Meaning that, that prayer, basically, is invalid anyway. Likewise, a Muslim's prayer that is outside of the sunnah of Muhammad وسلم, will not work. It is as simple as that. We don't need to do anything else except to follow the Prophet He's done all the thinking for us. Why are you trying to literally reinvent the wheel? In this case, reinvent the plane. It's been there since what he came to, all the Prophets, So now, the order in which we line ourselves up is that men first, and then young children, boys, and then the women, which is the natural order. It's not about bringing women to the back row or pushing men to the front row. It's about following an order. It's about the Amr. Can you submit to Allah through the establishment of the Prophet Muhammad's order? That's how you execute wa aqim salah establish prayer. That is what is meant by reciting wahi and then following it. Utluma kitab. Recite wahi, then follow it. What's the best representation of following the wahi? Wa aqim salah Establish salat. How do you do this this way? Now that's one thing. The second thing is that what is the reason why we pray anyway? Right? It is a simple, it is a simple uh, I have a spiritual need, therefore I must pray. No. The reality and truth is we pray because we want Allah to accept our prayer, number one. We want Allah to reward us for our prayer, number two. We want Allah to allow us to go to Jannah. That's the end goal. So if the goal was limited to equality between men and women in the dunya, uh, you would not have an Islamic establishment of salat. Because even with men, their goal is what? To enter Jannah. Doesn't mean that the women are inferior, men are superior. So it could be that one congregation, a woman's salat may be more accepted by Allah than a man's. And it may be that a woman's concentration and focus may be much greater than a man's. There's no inequality there. That's up to you. How your focus is. And if you have the daraja and the maqam of ihsan, Allah give us all that, then it doesn't matter where. So now the Prophet ﷺ said to the women of Medina that you will get more reward if you do salat by yourselves. So that made it easier. So I don't have to rush to the masjid. I have two, two and a half kids with me. Right. I have two. They're young. I have one more in my belly. There's two and a half kids. And I'm going to Salat five times a day. In the morning, in the, in the evening, ah, whether it rains, snows, sleets, hails, whether it's windy, whether there's a tornado warning, we're obligated to go to Salat uh, in the masjid because that's the Prophet's order. Are you, are you, are you crazy or what? Yeah, it's absurd logic. You know, women are allowed to go to the masjid for salat. But if they want reward for the sake of Allah, Allah made it easy for them to seek the reward. It's not a social status. Okay? Going to the masjid is not, was never considered to be a social status. Otherwise, Bilal and Abu Bakr would never be in the same row. Right? Otherwise, the Prophet ﷺ would not have read his salat behind Abu Bakr. You understand? So what, what's happening now in the modern world, especially here in the U.S., is that Muslims are seeing the masajid and salat as some kind of social race of upmanship. I'm better because I'm there in front. 
Do you know what it takes to be an imam? And do you know the tradition of Muslims when it comes to leading salat? Imam Abu Hanifa tells his student, Qadi Abu Yusuf, the first supreme justice in world history, that you dare go forward onto the imam's musalla until somebody else pushes you. If you stay with the ulama, the ulama will never go in front. None of them. They will never go in front. None of them, whatsoever. So we don't want to lead. I mean, why, why am I carrying the responsibility and the burden of making sure my salat is valid so that the other people's salat behind me is valid also? That's not our civilization. It's not something to brag about that I'm the imam. It is something to fear. It's not a privilege, it is a responsibility, it's a burden. Once Muslims of North America understand and appreciate that ibadah is about humbling oneself in front of Allah Almighty, then they will forget the social issues that come in and around salat. We don't have to appease anyone who are non-Muslim, number one. Number two, we don't even have to appease the Muslims. Number three, we have to appease Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He has to accept our ibadat. So when you aqim is salah, that you are going to establish salat. Establish salat is an example of the beginning of the ayah where Allah says, recite wahi and follow it. Affirm this is wahi and then execute it. How does the Prophet execute wahi? Through Allah's guidance. So if there was an issue with the salat of the Prophet Jibreel would come, and he'd say, not this way, this way. If there was, I don't know of any uh, incident in, in, in the seerah, but if there was. Right? So now we, we, we must now seek advice and guidance from this ayah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to us in the Qur'an all the time. This is a living book. This book is not to be kept on the shelves. It speaks to you, and it speaks to you all the time. So some of our remedies for some of the problems and uh, I dare say some of the disease in the community is right here in front of us that the greatest form of ibadah in Islam is salat and salat is something that should be established the way the Prophet said so that's the amr, that's the order just as we follow the laws of physics in our real lives and everything else, nature Likewise, we follow the laws of wahi in this aspect of our lives. The spiritual aspect has to be on the back of prophethood. Anything that falls off the back of prophethood will be discarded. The angels won't care for that. And that is the reason why you want to go through all this trouble, wake up for fajr, mashallah, in the cold and in the summer, and then get out of bed, and then make your wudu, and then... Uh, scramble so that you can do your salat in time and if you haven't done it the way the Prophet ﷺ has done so, all that effort is futile. Why go through that bother? Right? As in the case of Hajj. You only do Hajj once in your lifetime. So why don't you do it the way the Prophet ﷺ did? Don't ask for concessions. Why isn't this fatwa, this fatwa? Uh, you've saved all your life for this moment. Why don't you do it the way the Prophet ﷺ? Because he is our leader. And then, I mean, all the rituals of Hajj came from the Prophet Sallallahu and Hajj. Why, why are you seeking you know, fatwa? This fatwa, this fatwa, this concession, this concession. No, Baba. It is once a year, once a lifetime means once a lifetime. Do it properly, correctly, according to wahi. Read the wahi and then follow it. Read the wahi and then follow it. So this is a civilizational order that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gives to the Prophet Muhammad. وسلم, so that Muslims may be guided forever. In issues that are outside of ibadat, like certain contracts, even there you have wahi, but there may be greater latitude. And if those issues uh, are not mentioned in the Quran Sunnah, then you have the tools of ishtihad, and the ulama will say yes or no, and they are not considered to be conclusive. And so on. But in matters where wahi is explicit, we must execute it according to how the Sunnah says so, not through our uh, rationale only. As Umar commented about the Hajj al Aswad, 
In the Islamic rationality, Omar represents okay, the master of understanding Islamic rationality outside of Wahy, as we know. So he says, for the life of me, I don't know why we're going back to this uh, idea of worshipping a stone by touching and kissing Hajar Aswad. I mean, the, 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 the Bedouin Arabs <laughs> and the Quraysh, they came out of what? Worshipping stone. And the Prophet ﷺ touched and kissed the stone. So Umar said, for the life of me, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. You know what he said? He said, oh, Hajar Aswad, you're just a stone. I'm only going to kiss you and touch you because I saw my Habib ﷺ do it. So even the Islamic rationality sometimes doesn't work. You follow the Prophet. Okay? There's no Islamic reason to touch the stone. Is there? Now why do people now crave and fight themselves to touch the stone? <laughs> because they know it's the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. If you're not able to, you have to still respect the of a stone. And you're going around a bigger stone. So what is that? I mean, it makes no sense. Ibadah is not meant to make sense. Ibadah is about uh, submitting to the will of Allah through the Prophet Muhammad That's what Ibadah is about. You don't need to rationalize your Ibadah because it's not about rationalization. It's about submitting your intellect in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where it belongs. Where does it belong? In the ground, on the ground. That's where you're going back. So this following wahi and then executing wahi has an amr. It has an order. There's an organization. That is called the traditional Islamic understanding of ibadat. That is not contextual. It is a-contextual. It does not change with time and space. It's going to be there forever. Inshallah. So here, this is one aspect of salat. Welcome to salat. It teaches the Muslim order of thought, order of spirituality, and order of organization. So when you have this amount of organization in Salat, then it is comparable to the form and the order of all the other things that Allah has created in the universe. Like the birds, and then on top of the birds there are the angels, then on top of the angels there are the angels who do Salat in the heavens. And all the samawat, all the other worlds, and we follow that order. Okay, so the order of salat in the heavens is the order of salat on earth, except on earth human beings do it, and in the heavens angels do it. So now you're in harmony with the cosmos. You have this cosmic harmony between man and other species where they all, they all follow the order of wahi, and that brings about salvation and peace and comfort to the world around you. Right? When you do salat in your house, the environment around you knows. When you do salat in a masjid, the environment around the masjid knows. As the Prophet said, that when a group of people get together and do the dhikr of Allah, as in salat we do, then those groups of people, they, they appear to the angels in the heavens. As stars appear to people on earth. Stars. Look at the sky. You see the stars. How do the stars appear to us? It's the same way that masajid and places of worship and places of dhikr appear to the angels up there. This is a star. These are luminaries. This is where the nur is of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on earth. So these are all fadail and merits and virtues about establishing salat in the order of the Prophet Muhammad It is very sensitive as your computers and machines are sensitive. As I said, if you want to be creative with your car, you know, these other gadgets in the car where the exhaust pipe, for instance, it is filthy, it is dirty, it takes out so much smoke. I don't like it, so I'm going to take it out. I'm going to be creative. <laughs> you can't do that. You're wrecking the order. Likewise, you don't like something in the salat. Let's take this part of it. It doesn't make too much sense. 
You can't do that. You'll destroy it. It won't work. You'll be causing a disruption in the ecology around you. Right? You'll be adding to the pollution that already exists in the environment. Likewise, if you remove anything from the Salat of the Prophet it is very sensitive. The angels will not be there around you. You know how sensitive the angels are? We all know that, right? The Prophet said that when you eat onion and garlic, don't come to the masajid. Why? Because the angels are sensitive to that smell and they will not join you in Salat. That's how sensitive Salat is. Right? We all know this hadith, right? We've heard it before. Is that true? Yeah. So when, mashallah, Muslims, after playing a very, very uh, aggressive, uh, formidable basketball game, mashallah, subhanallah, in their barely halal shorts, huh? barely halal, and then on top of that they come to make wudu, and they say, Dear, we don't need to wash our feet anymore, we can just wipe our feet. Subhanallah. And then they go to the masjid, or they do jamaat. So if the smell of garlic repels angels, don't you think the smell of your feet will repel angels also? I mean, what kind of logic is this? I mean, when you take your feet off and you go to the... <laughs> with those, mashallah, very, very beautiful socks, sweet-smelling, like rose petals, that's going to disturb you, never mind the angels. So how can you justify making masa over your socks? Baba, take them off, wash your feet. They're dirty, they're filthy, they stink. Is that something called hygiene in your, in, in your world view, that there should be hygiene in the masjid? Waqimi salat, establish salat. The question is not being conservative. The question is, the angels won't be there with you. They're going to run away before you enter the masjid. It's not about the fiqh. It's about the order. What is the order? The order of wahi. Without tahara, without hygiene, you cannot... Pray in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have to be at least tahir. And that's why you need to make miswak before you go to the masjid. Brush your teeth so there's oral hygiene. And wash your feet so that there's hygiene in your feet also. Right? That was the beauty of the sunnah. Which now unfortunately Muslims are losing day by day by saying oh, it's easier to wipe our feet than to make wudu and wash them. And this is where? This is in the masjid where the water is there. Nobody's going to say anything if you wash your feet. God forbid you wash your feet for wudu. I don't wash my feet. No? Welcome salat. Establish salat the way the order of wahi came to establish salat. Then you will find peace and sukoon in your salat. Allah will accept. Why will Allah accept? Because the angels around you will escort your salat to the heavens. Which is also in the hadith. Right? The Prophet ﷺ said, then when someone does their salat properly with the correct wudu and on time, uh, without making any, uh, any major mistakes, the angels will take that person's salat to the heavens. And then the head doors of the heavens will open and they will escort it further to the arsh and throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if a person doesn't do his salat this way, then it will go to the heavens and the angels will just throw it back down. Legally it will be valid, spiritually invalid. Legally in terms of fiqh, valid, spiritually invalid. Why? Because it's not been accepted by the angels. The angels vet your salat and your ibadat. That's what they're there for. So if, if it doesn't pass their test, it's not going through the heavens. Right? And why are you doing all this? It's a social thing. It's a cultural thing. No, no, it's not. It's something that has to do with your najat, your salvation. It's something that has to do with you going into Jannah one day, inshallah. It's something that has to do with Allah rewarding you for your salat. That is why we do this, hopefully, right? Is it to say that we do salat or Muslims are organized? No. It's because of your own spiritual growth. And your salvation. So this ayah speaks volumes about how Muslims must read and recite wahi for what it is first, and then execute it, which is what tilawa means. Tilawa means to read and follow. It actually means to follow, but you can't follow until you recite. That's why the recitation of the Quran is called what? 
tilawat al-Quran. But in the, in the, literally the word talayatu means follow. So this is how we deal with the, the understanding of now Allah creates as in the previous ayah bilhaq with the truth. So likewise a Muslim must pray with the truth. Not with falsehood and not with vanity and not for sport, not for amusement, not for social reasons and definitely not for political reasons. It must be for your own individual islah and your najat. Once we, inshallah, appreciate this in theory, in principle, then the following statement will be correct. What is that? That indeed salat prevents people from lewdness and immorality and doing things that are not so noble. Meaning that if you have this approach, attitude, order and organization, discipline in your salat five times a day, this discipline will roll over into the rest of your life, into the rest of your day, and you will say, I need to be disciplined here also. The way I am disciplined in salat. How is one disciplined in salat? You do not move until Allah says so. You don't say anything until Allah says so. You don't bow down until Allah says so. You don't make sajda until Allah says so. You don't come out of salat until Allah says so. That's the order. That's the discipline. Isn't that true? Yeah. So you follow the order. Allahu Akbar. Takbir al-Tahreem. Then you have your thana. Then you have fatiha in your surah. Then you go into say Allahu Akbar. Then you go into rukur and everything else. And if you're behind the imam, there's even more discipline, more order. Right? So now when you have this order five times a day in your person in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that will spill over with your person uh, to the rest of your life. That's how salat prevents you from sin, from evil. But if you don't have that order, then uh, it won't work. You have to work on it. And you have to work towards developing that discipline in your mind, mentally, psychologically, that you create that order over time. So now... Here, the discussion is not the utility of salat, where you're going to measure the success of your salat in its utility and its immediate benefit. You will measure the salat in terms of obedience to Allah and the Rasul. So whether or not you see and visualize now the benefit, you still have to go through the motions because that's what Allah wants. Okay? So you can't throw the baby out. Okay? With the bathtub. <laughs> right. You don't want to do that. So you don't want to leave so long. It doesn't, it's not making any sense to me. It's not doing anything for me. It, it takes time. So there may be other impediments. There may be other barriers. There may be other problems that you have subconsciously, consciously, psychologically in, around you, your environment, your feelings, your worldview, that you're not doing this the way it should be done. So, so then you may have to seek guidance from someone and then continue with that anyway, because regardless of that impact in your immediate life, Allah still wants you to pray five times a day. That's the first order. The second order is the benefit and the utility of salat in this world. Okay? Then the third order is the benefit and utility of salat in the other world. Okay? So you can't discard salat because you don't see any benefit in this world, because you are hoping to have benefit in the other world also. That's part of the same logical argument that uh, people present when they say it doesn't help anyone. It does help. If it doesn't help here, it will help, inshallah, on the Day of Judgment. All right. The conclusion is Allah's dhikr, remembrance of Allah, remembrance of God is much greater, meaning your salat should lead you to becoming more disciplined, organizing your life, because you are going to be God-fearing, you are going to be God-conscious. Now, it is true that people who pray sometimes may not have this. Right? But that could be said about anything that is needed in life. Is that true? Yeah. So many things. People need food, and food doesn't do many things for people who eat food. Uh, people exercise, and exercise doesn't do many things for people who need exercise, and people who need a medicine. And medicine sometimes doesn't do anything for the people who need medicine. That doesn't mean to say that you close down the whole industry. Right? 
So the utilitarian approach to ibadat is not correct unless you add on the utility of the akhirah. Okay? If you add on the utility and the benefit of the akhirah on the day of judgment, Allah will see that you followed my order independent of whether it had utility for you or not, then that is good enough for your salvation, inshallah. Right. Yeah. Now, does that mean to say that we should not hold people responsible? Sure, we should. The Prophet ﷺ now said, do you know who the worst thief is? Sariq. Ya Rasulullah, someone who does this now. So the worst thief is the one who steals from his salat. One of the examples the Prophet ﷺ gave. That stealing is now not only discouraged, it is punishable in Islam. Right? Stealing is looked down upon by every civilization on the planet. Likewise, a person who now is the worst thief, according to the Prophet ﷺ, is the one who steals from his salat. He's stealing from himself, meaning that he should be focused, but he's not. He should be organized, but he's not. He should repent, but he doesn't. This is stealing from salat. Okay, so these hadith that are moral and ethical in principle, they encourage the believer to be more serious in their, in his or her practice of salat so that the salat has an immediate impact. The Prophet ﷺ did not want to discard the immediate uh, social, moral and spiritual benefit of salat in this world. That is something that we must appreciate with this part of the ayah. وَلَذْذِكُرُ akbar. Allah knows what it is you are doing. So just in salat, Allah sees you as part of the hadith of Ihsan. Likewise, Allah sees you outside of salat. So he knows what you are doing in salat and he knows what you are doing outside of salat. You must transfer the same awareness and consciousness and discipline throughout your life. If you do this, then you will see the immediate impact of salat also. Just as, inshallah, we will see the impact of salat on the day of judgment. Right? So this was a, uh, inshallah, address uh, that came out from these two ayat of the Quran in Surah Al-Ankabut. So that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now given us encouragement and incentive to become closer to him through an institution that we call salat, the only way to worship Allah subhanahu why? Because this mode and method of worship came from a supra-rational premise and it came to the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, who was looking for this method of worship okay? when he went to Hira. When he would retreat in Hira, he was looking for this. He was looking for Salat. How do I worship Allah? He knew Allah. He knew Allah was one, but he didn't know how to worship Allah until Allah said, ah, Ya Although, oh you that has been enshrouded by the mantle, okay, that you must stand up in salat uh, half of the night, one third of the night, and so on. Okay. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him salat, then he had this sharh of sadr, okay, that he had the expansion of his chest, and then he was okay and happy with what Allah was giving him because he had now an immediate recourse to Allah. So the Sahaba also saw that Salat was an immediate recourse to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's powers, his names, his attributes, his abilities, and his comfort and his guidance. So we see Salat now as being that dimension of a human being's life that every human being on the planet is looking for. Except they don't know where to look for, and those who know about it don't use it. Why do people get into drugs? and music, and why do people now want to escape reality? Allah says, you don't need to escape reality. Okay? You have to move in reality. So you don't need to run away from Allah, you have to run towards Allah. فَفِرُّوا Allah. Run and flee towards Allah. Don't run away from Him. So run towards reality, don't run away from it. This is uh, drugs and uh, all of this uh, you know, booze and uh, womanizing and even music will drive you away from the reality of life. So uh, Islam says, no, don't do that. Go towards reality. Who is the ultimate reality? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is not going to discard you if you run towards Him. He will respond to your call and He will see that you are in need of Him and He will come to you. That is the underlying 
uh, the, 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 the social benefit of Salat as an organized institution. But Muslims run towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it has to be for the reason Allah prescribes it, not for any other reason. As we know, in al-a'mal bin-niyat, actions are judged by their intention. So we must find the place in our homes and in the masajid where there is sukoon, where we can find that attachment to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and run away from the world. Okay, but if the masajid are built to address all the issues of the world, then that is not a place of social and spiritual refuge where you're going to be bombarded, mashallah, on Friday khutbahs by all the problems of the world. And Allah says, Fas'a'u ila run towards the dhikr of Allah. And so I mean, he's saying, give us a break, you know, at least 10, 15 minutes of the week, give us a break from the dunya, please. Let us rest in the sukoon of the masjid. Don't talk about the dunya at all. If you want to talk, create another forum. Not the masjid. Okay? And that was the instruction of the Prophet ﷺ to all the Sahaba. And that's why the Sahaba went to the masjid for sukoon, for peace, tranquility, to be with Allah, not to be with the dunya. So they never had problems with going to the masjid because it's a refuge. <laughs> it's time out. Uh, give me a break. A real break. But if Muslims see this as a place where they congregate to discuss the dunya, then nobody will come to the masjid anymore. As we know, most of our young people, they don't go to the masjid anymore. Why? There's no peace there anymore. People are always fighting. If you have a grudge against your spouse or your colleague or your cousin or your in-laws, then you go to the masjid to vent. That is not aqim salah. That is not establishing salah. You're doing something else which is contrary to what Salat has been prescribed for. Allah gave us a tawfiq to do what pleases him the most. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us uh, to meet him in such a way that he is pleased with us also. Ameen Rabbil Alameen. Jazakumullah khair for coming to these uh, Sunday morning tafsir sessions. This will be the final class of the semester. Inshallah, there will be a pre-Ramadan session uh, at this time on one Sunday before Ramadan. So, look out on the website. It may be next week, it may be three weeks from now, I don't know. Uh, we'll let you know. It will be announced at least three days in advance. Inshallah. Okay.